This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. At some point far in the future, historians will probably ask, what was daily life like in the early 21st century? Well, one thing we know for sure. Nobody will ever point to these two clowns and say, this was how you should have been stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and have you ever felt like you've done something illogical with money? Not me. Mine's safe under my bed inside my Batman socks. But other people do lots of wacky things with their cash that, on paper, make no sense. Here to explain how your brain might be tricking you, the guy featured on Million Stories, Your Brain on Money YouTube series, we welcome Dr. Paul Zak. In headlines, we'll talk about new saving systems that force you to prepare your future. Unlike Joe's mom, who assumed she'd die young in a trapeze incident, which is why she has to rent out her basement. Oh, yeah, you bet your sweet bippy she's got a backstory. Then, we're going to throw out the Haven Lifeline and share some trivia that's going to drive you crazy. And now, two guys whose brains are always on the next video game, it's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. Had to put down my Sea of Thieves controller to make sure that we got this done, O-G. Well, yes, that's kind of sort of true. Unlike, unlike uh, Navy Federal. Gr- you're more of a Grand Theft Auto 5 fan, I know. but Oh, no, no, no. I was seriously playing Sea of Thieves, and I got to say that our friends at Navy Federal and our friends in the Navy that we talk about every week, way better than me, because uh, we went after this uh, galleon and three middle-aged dudes going after some 14-year-olds. And uh, man, they taught us a lesson. 
Hey, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to probably late in life for video games podcast. I'm Joe Salcihi, Average Joe Money on Twitter. We aren't fooling around today, OG, even though we're going to talk about a lot about gamification, about tricking your brain, about how video games can make you a better investor, and about the whole idea of opt-in and opt-out, how just changing the game a little bit, changing the way you think about savings. Big day on the show. Hooray! <laughs> He's like, what do you want me to say? I know. Yes. I don't know. I agree. Could I end that in a more awkward way? Ah, but you know what's not awkward? We got a great show today. Dr. Paul Zach is with us. Dr. Zach lives at the intersection of economics and your brain, which is pretty, pretty awesome. But first, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. We're off next week, OG, but uh, Veterans Day is next week. And it's strange that Veterans Day comes every year. And I never hear many companies talk about Veterans Day. You should. The bank closes for Columbus Day. Yeah, Marine Corps birthday next week too. Big week while you and I are are off uh, plotting the last week of the year. But at Navy Federal Credit Union, every day is Veterans Day. They thank veterans in a way that's meaningful. They offer resources like Best Careers After Service and Best Cities After Service. As you know, OG, that's quite a transition between being active duty and then deciding what to do with your life next. They offer veteran employment assistance partnerships, with nonprofits like U.S. Vets. They're a top VA home loan lender, like you'd expect. They offer personal finance consulting and 24-7 member service. They have a growing community of over 1.7 million veterans like you. Learn more at NavyFederal.org slash veterans. It's NavyFederal.org slash veterans, insured by NCUA and equal housing lender. All right, big headline, Dr. Paul Zak who's on a recent million stories video. Love me some million stories. Let's get this party started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show. Our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Our headline today comes for, to us from Napa-net. The Empire State officially embraces auto IRA mandate. This is uh, comes to us via the Napa-net staff. Governor Katie Hochul has signed into law legislation that would convert New York State's voluntary participation state-run IRA program to mandatory, mandatory for employers that do not offer a retirement plan and employ 10 or more employees. The legislation had been passed by the state Senate back in June and by the New York General Assembly in May. The measure, which takes effect immediately, requires that employees be automatically enrolled in the state's Secure Choice Savings Program to get more people in the private sector investing for retirement. More than half of New York's private sector workforce doesn't have access to employer-offered savings options, 
according to AARP New York. The law, by the way, though it's mandatory, retains the option for workers to opt out. So if somebody does not want to, if they're like, forget about retirement saving, I'm not doing it. People can, uh, people can opt out. Let's chat a little bit about this because there, is, there are other states also looking at this. I know from other pieces, we've got other states that are starting to wade into this. Uh, Great Britain also. Like that's not a state. <laughs> not yet. Ouch. What if they had like later on, like their Manchester tea party because of the American overlords? I don't know if we just turn that around. The Americans are coming. No, <laughs> we're the evil empire. Some people think that. Well, regardless, uh, BlackRock and the money and pension service in the UK also diving into this idea of, of opt out government sponsored savings programs. What do you think? OG? does it seem weird that your retirement savings is largely based on who your employer is. Like, why is it your employer's job to make sure that you've got retirement savings? It seems like this would be a perfect thing. Like we have with the federal government and the TSP. It's like kind of everything comes full circle, right? Like it used to be pensions. And then it was like, I want to be in charge of it. And now can you, somebody else be in charge of it? <laughs> right. Right. No, no, no. This is really good because I get to be in charge of it myself. Oh, and then I find out I can't be trusted. I can't. I can't be trusted. So someone else has to do it. Uh, I, I don't. You know, I, I just. I'm such a leave me alone type of person that mandating and you know making it's just ugh, it's just slimy feeling. I think you should. I think if you're an employer, you should help your employees. I think you should have a retirement type program. It's funny because we'll talk to business owners and they'll say, well. Yeah, but I got to give them like 3% of their compensation. I'm like, it's 3%, man. It's not that much for a match. But if you just did that, then we wouldn't have to have all the... We wouldn't need it. All the, uh, all the other stuff. So I, I think you should do it. I don't think you should be mandated to do it. You know, And you take the teeth right out of it when you go, yeah, you got to do it, but other people can opt out. So now as an employer, I need to do this thing that some of my employees are going to say that they don't want to do anyway. So now it's, now it's just a weird circumstance or situation. So, um, well, that, and the whole being able to opt out thing you think gives you, I don't know, you retain your freedom, but studies show that when people have an opt out versus an opt in, when they start working for a company, if you've got an opt out 401k, people are much more likely to save into that 401k. Absolutely. Yeah. Negative consent is just a lot easier than getting consent for sure. The bad news is, I believe the number is nearly half the people that would not have contributed still touch it anyway. But so you're you're still saving about 50% of those people. The other 50% end up saving the money in and then taking it out and paying penalties that make them worse off yeah. than if they, they had done it. But the other half ends up doing pretty well. But still this idea of opt-in and opt-out, do we, you know, you talked earlier about the fact that we can't be trusted does it matter that that people don't do a lot of thought into this? Like, is this is this still Big Brother kind of tricking us? Like, if I don't read the entire form and I just sign the bottom, you know, some of the consent things that we're agreeing to that we might not know that we're agreeing to. Like, is this a slippery slope? So check this out. This is going to blow your mind. So I had a client email me. They made some changes to their 401k. Okay, right? That happens all the time. No big deal. Here's the summary of this email. We think that you're probably invested incorrectly. So we're going to put all of your money into a target date fund based on your retirement day on November 1st, unless 
you say, no, 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 no. I really want these funds. Unbelievable. That blew my mind. That's too far. So we were talking about like, you know, the negative consent thing of, well, if you, it's better than nothing, right? And I guess, I guess I would be interested to find out like what the ratio of, were there so many people who were really conservative that they were trying to save? Or was it there are so many people that were aggressive, they were trying to basically punish, but they don't feel it that way. And I bet it's that way. I bet, I bet, I bet the fund manager, or the 401k manager looked and said, there's too much equity exposure here amongst you your employees. So? Absolutely. Absolutely. And we're going to get sued. And eventually somebody's going to get mad. So let's put them into these target date funds that, you know, you got a 50 year old, bam, they're, they're 50, 50 stock bond mix. That way they never lose their butts. So they never get mad. And I was just appalled by that. And now we're moving back toward a pension, you know, just the company managing it regardless of what I think. Like mandating. That is strange. That we're going to move your money from your current allocation. Now I would get it. Like, like in our 401k plan at work, we have, if you don't pick anything, we have what's called a qualified alternative uh, investment alternative. I can't remember the phraseology, but basically if you start your 401k and you don't pick any funds, it goes into the target date fund, right? Which is silly like we've talked about, but that's better than nothing. So they're doing it backwards. Like you've already picked your stuff and we're going to yeah. put you back into it. I don't no, know. I don't, I don't get that. Well, listen to this one. I mean, does it matter if it's saving or if it's something else? This uh, comes to us from the Georgetown university archive and it's uh, the blog of the presidential commission for the study of bioethical issues. It says when it comes to the whole genome sequencing research, you're like, Joe, what the hell does this have to do with genome sequencing? Nothing, but hold on. Everything has to do with it, genome sequencing. <laughs> everything does. Duh. After a painful gallbladder attack, 27-year-old Cindy allowed surgeons to remove her gallbladder. Before the surgery, Cindy read and signed the necessary lengthy consent forms. During surgery, doctors took a blood sample and placed it in the hospital's stored collection of biological samples. Her de-identified DNA is now available to researchers who have access to that collection. You can imagine a bunch of people, which is what this piece talks about, a lot of people just signing the consent and deep in this consent piece, which is ostensibly about gallbladder, they're also taking your blood to use for their own research purposes. Interesting. So To build it, their other OGs. Oh my God. To build an army of OGs. That would be amazing. Have you, it's like multiplicity that, have you seen that movie? I mean, you've seen it with Michael Keaton. Yes. That was forever ago. It was, but it was definitely foreshadowing. If you never saw it, it's about, he makes a clone of himself because he doesn't want to do stuff around the house. And then his clone is really smart. So his clone makes a clone of himself. But every time his clones make clones, they get dumber. And so pretty soon he's got a whole bunch of clones that are just really, really, really dumb. <laughs> Dumb versions of him. <laughs> Just keep on getting dumber along the way. <laughs> well, and I don't know, back to back to this piece, I don't know if I can see how when it comes to, to research, okay, I'm all for, I, I'm actually all for them taking some of my DNA and as long as they don't identify it as me putting it toward research, but some people might not want that, but that's separate from the gallbladder thing. You know what I mean? To me, that's two different things. I'm at my gallbladder taken out, so I have to consent to all that. But deep inside this, I'm also consenting to research, and it's only one signature that has both. While this is different than savings, I kind of feel like what you're talking about, where we're 
consenting the opposite way where I go, yeah, Hey, I want to sign up for this 401k plan. Oh, by the way, you're also consenting to the fact that we we're going to invest it this way or that X amount's going to be taken out of your paycheck. Wouldn't that solve the problem though? Overall, like the problem isn't that there's not enough investment choices. The problem isn't that there's not enough places to put your money. Like, Oh my God, we need a new place to put it. The right. problem isn't that. The problem is that you don't take 10% out of your paycheck every week and put it away. That's the problem. That we don't save. That's the problem. That is the whole problem. So maybe maybe that should be the mandate. You should be like, no matter what, 10% is coming out of your paycheck. Dave Ramsey said it's got to be 15, so we're just going to do what Dave Ramsey said. So here's the idea, companies. Take a cue from, or states in this case, right? Hello, New York. Just take a page out of Apple's playbook make the signature page like 27 pages long so that nobody reads it. I agree. I agree. Confirm. (laughs) Give me my phone. Please. I get an iPhone at the end of this. That's all I need to know. Oh, you're going to track everything? Deal. Okay. The Russians already have it. You know, if you look at this on a far end, have, have you ever looked at Singapore's retirement system? Honestly, no. Singapore is one of the wealthier countries on earth. And part of the reason people point to is the fact that since 1955, the Singapore government has mandated under the plan, everybody in Singapore has got to take 20% of what they make and save it. And guess what happens? Singaporeans, shockingly, Singaporeans, 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 people do really well there. Huh? Odd. Have to save 20% though. But once again, you don't like the the have to save 20%. No, I'm saying like if you're going to mandate something, that's what you should mandate. You should find where the restriction is and solve the restriction. This restriction isn't we don't have more <laughs> options. Yeah. Like, oh my God, I can't, I can't have no place to put my retirement account. Well, you do. You can put it in an IRA or a Roth IRA or brokerage account or in a shoebox or in the bank or in a CD or anywhere. Yeah. Like you can put it anywhere. Yeah. It's the fact that you don't put anything anywhere. That's the issue. And by the way, there's another piece of this, according to the Seattle Times, by the way, is is not a straight import discussion for Americans. There's something else that happens in Singaporean society, which is that heavily influenced by Chinese society, people take care of their parents mm-hmm. and they send them between 500 to $750 a month to their parents. So people feel this obligation to take care of their senior parents, which by the way, so between the cultural difference and then they save 20%, you can see how people build wealth. Right. Where do we land, OG? We like New York doing this or not? I think it's unnecessary. (laughs) Did you just get done saying you thought it was necessary because we don't save? No, I'm saying the problem is it's not the, the mandating the 401k for the employers. It's the issue. They need to mandate people putting money into the 401k. That's the difference. But it is man it's mandatory, but everybody gets an opt out. Individuals are automatically opted in. Here's the problem, you can't get people to start saving money unless your damn employer offers a 401k. And half the companies in New York don't have offer a 401k. Don't offer a retirement plan. I think we're talking about two different things. I I, I don't think that the problem is that there's not enough retirement plan choices to pick from. The problem is, is that nobody puts 15 exactly. or 20% away. But if you, but what's the easiest way to save? Payroll deduction. Yeah. Easiest way to save. So if you're talking about making it easy, payroll deduction. Half the people in New York don't have payroll deduction. They don't have the ability to even do it because the employer's standing in the way. 
which brought me at the beginning to go, why is the employer involved in this at all? Like, like seriously, why, why does the employer pick? Because as you know, small employers pick these crappy plans. And the reason they pick the crappy plans is because they're quote free to them, which means they pass on all these garbage fees to the employee while people that work for huge companies end up with some pretty damn cost-efficient plans usually. But why is the employer involved? I think we're talking about two different things. And I don't keep coming back to that. Yeah, I know. It's, I don't need the employer to be mandated to create a 401k plan. Then what do we need to have happen to make that easy? Why don't you just put it on your tax form? You made $20,000 and, and you have to save 2000 of that. Like put it on the employee. The employee has to put $2,000 away. Who gives a crap where he puts it or she puts it? I mean, yes, it's easier to come out of your payroll. So you can do payroll deductions to two bank accounts. Do you know how many people default on their taxes then? Because we still haven't solved your problem, which is we still haven't made it easy for the person to save. We've already shown that opt out beats opt in. So now you got to put another layer of complexity for the employers. Because they're just humans also who now have to deal with this extra. Apparently stuff. there's going to be a layer of complexity somewhere if you add that in. Of course. If you add it in, there's going to be a layer of complexity. No matter what you do, there's going to be a layer of complexity. So you have two choices. We do nothing and we get where we're at now. Or if we want it to be better. I mean, I don't know any way to take away to make this to make this uh, simpler. Yeah, I don't know either. I don't know. Above our pay grade. But I think the takeaway for stackers, because people smart enough to listen to this show are smart enough to... Know to save, trick yourself. In fact, guess what? We got Paul Zach coming up next to talk about that. How about that as a nice transition? little transition? You didn't even plan that, did you? I did not. It just, it just, I could see the light bulb go off. Your eyes brightened. You were like, I got one finally. I'm just like, ooh, uh, ooh, the crowd goes wild. You know what I was thinking? I was thinking this is the longest discussion that we've had for in a long time. And it's funny that it's our next to last show for this eight weeks, but this is the longest discussion we've had for a headline in a long time. And I'm like, how the hell are we getting out of this segment? Bam. Paul Zach's going to save us. Our hands are washed. We're done. Paul Zach, who lives at the corner of economics and your brain, going to talk about a recent million stories, a video series, by the way, million stories has this awesome series called your brain on money. Got to watch it. These videos are like five minutes long. It's just like Netflix for money geeks. People have listened to us for a long time, know that how much we love million stories, but Paul Zach on a recent episode. So we asked the million stories. People were like, okay, can we just talk to him? And they're like, absolutely. So made him available, which is really cool. We got that coming up next, but first we got uh, look at this guy. Hey, Oh, Mr. Doug. I think Doug might have a rant today. Let's see. Hey there, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm sitting here playing some racing games on the Xbox, waiting for Dr. Paul Zach to tell me how this makes me a genius with my money. According to Wikipedia, on this day in 1911, Swiss race car driver and automotive engineer Louis Chevrolet co-founded the Chevrolet Motor Company in Detroit with his brother, Arthur. The company didn't show a car until 1913, and in 1914, started using the bow tie emblem, which is said to have been inspired by wallpaper in a French hotel room. I'm sure there's a great story there. Anyway, in 1953, Chevy produced one of its favorite cars. No, not my infamous El Camino, but none other than the Corvette, a two-seater sports car with a fiberglass body and a neon sign that flashes midlife crisis in the rear window. You bought one, right, Joe? 
Back then, it sold for $3,513. My question for you is, what year produced the most expensive Corvette ever sold at auction? I'll be back in a minute with an answer. Well, you know, when I think about Navy Federal, I think about the veterans that have done so much for our country. And I also think about some of our active service members. want to say a special shout out to uh, my nephews, Colin and Nathan, who are both in the Navy. Colin is stationed outside Seattle, Washington on a submarine. And my nephew, Nathan, is in South Africa as an air traffic controller. And in Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants you also to celebrate members, many of whom go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. It's all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their family are eligible for Navy Federal membership. They offer 24-7 help from their U.S.-based member service. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. Well, if you're new to Stacking Benjamins, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig and try out all these things so I know what I'm talking about when it comes to uh, what's helpful and what isn't helpful. And uh, the app that I've used the longest has been Monarch Money, And it's because Cheryl and I, my spouse, we're able to collaborate together. We can work on our goals together and our budget and our goals are right next to each other on the app. It is clearly the next generation of personal finance apps. So what is it? Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now... Because you're a stacker, you'll get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. I love the fact that we get to collaborate. I love the fact that it's customizable. And I also love that it's this ad-free privacy you can trust. They never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch myself, I totally get why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, because you're a stacker, you're going to get an extended 30-day free trial to try it out like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because, well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. Hey there, stackers. I'm mechanical genius and designer of French wallpaper, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. Today's question, what year produced the most expensive Corvette to be sold at auction? According to HotCars.com, a site I only look at in incognito mode, one of the original 1953 Corvettes with a VIN number of 181 sold for $660,000. But wait, there's more. A 1967 Chevy Corvette L88 convertible sold for $3.4 million in 2013, but just a few months later was crashed into by another L88 Corvette. Whew. But the most expensive? That was a Chevy Corvette L88 coupe from the year 
1967. One of only 20 made, and it sold in 2014 for a whopping 3.85 million. Dang, just 3.825 million over my Corvette budget. And now, let's put down the video game controller and say hello to Dr. Paul Zack. And here he is on his way down to the basement. Dr. Paul Zack joins us. How are you, man? I'm doing great, Joe. Great to see you. Great to see you too. I've been I've been looking forward to this for so long because ever since I saw you on the Million Stories video and then diving into your career, you not only talk about gamification, which is what we're going to talk about today, and can video games kind of teach us things about money, but you've talked about romance. Your last book was about how teams at work work together. You talk about all these different things. How did you get first involved with the brain and our money and our relationships? I'm a professional nerd. So uh, I'm a professor at Claremont Graduate University. It's been very kind to me to let me explore lots of different areas. I'm a Martian Joe. I don't really understand the humans. So I have to run experiments to figure out why they're doing what they're doing. But in doing that, we've developed a number of tools that allow us to really get insights into people's unconscious emotional states. And so those emotions, as you know, that drive most of our decisions, particularly decisions involving money. And it's funny, but not just money, but, but well, I guess when you talk about relationships with people, you know, in romantic relationships, money's a big factor there and why we fight. Absolutely. Yeah. You take a financial hit and that puts a lot of stress into that uh, relationship. And so one way to make better decisions is reduce that stress. I mean, no surprise. But being able to measure that and identify, you know, what neurologic state you're in, what emotional state you're in, I think that's the thing I'm most excited about is creating these tools that lets people have this uh, ability to quantify their unconscious states and therefore understand when they're making better decisions or worse decisions. You talk about reducing stress. You mentioned that. Is that what gamification really does? Does gamification take the st- some of the stress out of this highly stressful activity of money management? Um, I don't think it does. I think it works on the other axis, which is this reward. So um, to do, you know, change any habit or change any behavior, we have two factors that uh, limit us. One is, is this pleasurable? Am I getting feedback in my brain that I should keep doing this? And that's what uh, games do. Um, but the second is, Um, This sucks because it takes energy. And so your brain is a big energy hog uh, for listeners. Your brain is a very lazy organ because it sucks up 20% of your energy. It wants to just modulate that by coasting most of the time. And we coast by establishing habits. So in the brain, those are what we call potentiated pathways. They're default behaviors that have a signature in the brain. And to change those takes a lot of energy. So here's the first thing you can get out of this uh, interview that's useful which is when your dear family, spouse, partner complains about something you do, not you, Joe, because you're perfect, but people listening. Yes. uh, You you, you leave your dirty dishes in the sink, you drop your dirty clothes on the floor, whatever it is, you say to that dear loved one, dear person, I would love to change this habit, but I need 90 days with feedback to set up, to potentiate, to rewire my brain so I can do this new thing you'd like me to do. And I would love to do that, but you have to kindly, gently, lovingly give me feedback Every day, remind me not to do it in a very nice way, and then I will change that behavior. So that applies to relationships, like people in bad relationships sometimes, but it certainly applies to money as well, where we're used to doing something, going to Starbucks every day and buying a coffee for five bucks. 
you know, we can change that habit, but it takes energy. So either it's got to be more rewarding for us. So we'll invest that energy or it's got to be sufficiently painful. This person telling me I'm doing the wrong thing every day for 90 days. So that's a high bar. And it means that we're going to have habits that are hard to break. And that's the way your brain is set up. So be tolerant of the loved ones around you and be tolerant of yourself because it's hard to change. I'm thinking about this particular video that you were involved in for million stories about can video games help us change our habits. And I think what I'm hearing from you then, Paul, is if, if I'm connecting the dots is that if I'm really invested in this video game, I'm probably playing it for 90 days and whatever the things are, I'm actually building habits with a controller in my hand. Is that, is that what I'm hearing? Exactly right. But you've got to do it consistently. Maybe you could skip a day or two in the middle. It's okay. But again, the more consistently you do it, the more you establish that pathway in the brain. So think about any sport you started playing as a kid, tennis or whatever it is. You know, at first it's terrible. You got to think about it. And then it just becomes automatic. And then you start getting good at it. And then it becomes fun. So if we can take financial decision-making and make them fun from the get-go using a game, then all of a sudden we go, oh, this is fun. Yes, fun to think of balancing my checkbook. It's fun to think about how much to allocate to spending versus savings, how much I should invest, right? That's where we actually grab on to what the brain naturally does, which is guide us towards best behaviors or most adaptive behaviors, really, and then grab that in the game situation so that we can apply it to our daily lives. So there's this kind of old saying in neuroscience, uh, neurons that fire together, wire together. So you want to have that firing. You want to do that thing over and over and it just becomes habitual. And that's that shortcut pathway you were talking about. Yeah. I mean, shortcut many days. Kind of. Right? Yeah. Is, is fun a chemical thing? Is it a chemical reaction that our brain gets that we get this? Uh, is it stimulus as a chemical? Like, how does it work that I go, man, this is a good time. Uh, everything's chemical okay, <laughs> <laughs> and electrical, right? So otherwise we wouldn't do it. So we know, uh, you know, why do I like this nice cup of coffee? Well, I'm getting a whole bunch of, of feedback from that chemical electrical feedback. And so, yeah, we want to certainly grab some of that fun part, but also the other side is the brain has this kind of pain activation and the pain network in the brain, which is, which activates when something is costly or risky uses bodily states makes you feel uncomfortable. Do you remember, uh, Joe, the first time you wrote that big check for your, your mortgage for your house, like all yes. the savings in the bank and, yes. oh my gosh, your hands are, are sweating and you're yes. like, Oof. So that's that bodily feedback that says, hey, this is an important decision and the brain does this for money as well. You should be careful about this. You're using all of your savings to buy this house. Make sure this is a good decision. So one way to actually make better financial decisions is to reduce that pain threshold as well. So here's a concrete example. Uh, listeners who have migraine headaches have a slightly more active pain center. This area in the brain is called the anterior insula because there are lots of triggers for migraines and they want to avoid that. Migraines are awful. They're more sensitive to this. As a result, they tend to be more risk averse when it comes to making monetary decisions because no. that pain center is just a slightly more activated for everything. And you don't want to touch it. I mean, you just don't want to go near it then. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. No. So again, you know, we're, we're balancing the, the reward and the pain all the time. So your brain's a big cost benefit calculator. The good and bad news is it's a biased calculator, right? So if you're a young male and you have super high testosterone, like you and I used to do 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you love risk. It's all about reward for you. And, you know, you don't care if it's going to blow up for evolutionary reasons. So you can vary this all the time. If you're hungry, if you're tired, your decision-making is impaired. 
So I think the idea here is you want to slow down decisions. You want to take time for that information to consolidate. That happens generally during sleep. So if you're going to make a big financial decision or even a medium-sized financial decision, literally sleep on it. That helps all that information, the emotional information, the cognitive information come together into a crystallized kind of idea and you can take a breath. So this is why, you know, every information in the world says, call now, operator standing by, you know, we only have a little bit. They're trying to circumvent that slow down consolidation of information. So for listeners, you want to be smarter, slow things down. And then secondly, set up rules, circumvent the entire desire to just make snap decisions, which saves energy. So the brain wants to do it by that Starbucks every day in the way of the office and just set up a set of rules. I'm only going to go to Starbucks. I'm sorry, I'm trashing Starbucks, but I'm only going to Starbucks on Monday. <laughs> so my, my reward for showing for work on Monday is I'm going to get a Starbucks on the way in. I'm going to wait the rest of the week or whatever it is, have a rule. And so, as you know, from, you know, the magic of compounding is all based on consistency, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. Consistently safe. So for me, when I started working full time, I just had a rule, which is a fixed amount of money goes out of my paycheck before I see it and right into a Vanguard index fund. And I've been doing that for 26 years and it's grown and grown, right? We're rule 72. So it means, you know, roughly at 6% average return every 12 years, my money's going to double. Yeah. Aut- automation, hiding money from yourself. And, th- and that alone, I think is gamification, right? I mean, I mean, those setting up those rules for yourself is kind of making a game out of it. Yeah. And then really looking at that balance, particularly when you wait five, seven, eight, ten 10 years ago, holy crap, I didn't know I was saving this much. <laughs> and that compounding is, to me at least, really exciting. Now, having said that, um, this area that allows us in the brain, that allows us to defer immediate gratification for longer-term rewards uh, in the front of the brain called the medial prefrontal cortex, and the ability for that area to activate uh, varies so much across individuals. And so if you or your spouse or your brother-in-law you know, is really more present oriented, right? There's a big genetic component to that, right? So again, that's when you really want to impose rules if you can, or let the person impose rules on themselves so that you circumvent that I want it now kind of approach. As you probably know, Joe, you know, there's studies of children as young as two years old who who can't delay immediate gratification and they tend to stay less long in school. Their grades are not as good. They're, they don't make as much money as adults. And so it's, it's kind of wired in. And so if that's you, if you're a listener, work around that. Just set up a set of rules and, and just follow them. I want to ask you about fintech because we're big fans of uh, this whole revolution and some of these awesome app manufacturers that are, that are making it easier to save and gamifying the process. Assuming that this is for good, uh, what is it about gamification that you really like when it comes to our saving? What are some of the exciting things that you see from where you sit in the industry that you really like that'll help us do a better job? Yeah, a couple of things. I think, first of all, the industry is exploding, which I think is a good thing. So again, there'll be some sorting out on which of these platforms survive. But I think you have lots of options. Number one, you make this fun, you make it rewarding, and you're training yourself to do this. Number two, there's a great amount of customization that's going on. So in many of the platforms I've seen, the more you use it, the more they learn about you. So there's some built-in AI, for example. And so you're getting much more customized, a customized experience relative to, hey, just do this thing. Uh, so I think some of the, say, Gen 1 uh, fintech products 
were very kind of cut and dry, just, just here's a thing. It's probably okay, it's good. But to the extent that it's customized for you, you know, maybe I have a big family perhaps, and my Christmas is a really big deal for me. So I can follow this approach for all the months except December. December, I'm just going to go hog wild because that's what my family does and we're just going to do it, right? So if that game, quote, yells at you because you're overspending in December, right, that may be important for you. So I think, you know, as we begin to see customization and machine learning enter into this, we're getting much better outcomes for individuals. And that's the key, right? Fun, fun is always nice. Lots sure. of games that are fun, but really improving people's lifetime outcomes, helping them thrive. That's the key. As I was watching you in the video, I was also thinking that there has to be a downside to gamification, right? I mean, you see some people that get addicted to the wrong things. You see uh, Robin Hood is an example that uh, reportedly has gotten into trouble because they're gamifying things that make people do the wrong thing that might not be in their best interest. Every time you buy a stock, there's all this confetti and you know, you're buying stock in this company that might go bankrupt tomorrow and your brain starts feeding it in a, uh, in a gambling kind of way. There's gotta be also Paul, I think, uh, I think a downside to this gamification and, and we're being a little bit manipulated because of the way our brain works. Yeah. I mean, we're always being manipulated, right? Other humans, we're social creatures. So we're taking in all the social information and, and trying to consolidate it. So I think on small scale, making decisions in the game environment is fine and training ourselves to do that on a larger scale outside the game is great. I think there is the kind of uh, Jim Cramer yelling at stuff is not a good idea. So I remember years ago, gosh, 15 years ago, seeing an interview with William Sharp, who was a Nobel Prize yeah. winner in economics, one of the founders of kind of economic, you know, financial economics. Yeah. And um, I think the interview might have been with uh, with the Vanguard group, but I, I could be wrong. And they said, you're like, where are your investments? He goes, man, I am super busy. And so, uh, you know, this guy who was one of the founders of financial economics said, I just put my retirement money in an index fund and leave it alone. And so, when I was younger and had more time, I would try to actively manage some of my investments. And some of those would be great and some of those would lose money. And um, over time, less and less I'm actively managing and more I'm putting in index funds and using that long-term growth. No stress. I don't have to look at those stocks every day. I don't have time. I'm just too busy. And so let the market do its thing, which is the magic of compounding. Um, So I think, you know, to the extent that you need a game to understand that it's valuable to invest and to learn something about financial terms and jargon. There's a lot of stress. So, so let's talk about stress for a minute. You know, stress, again, uh, focuses on the current and narrows our focus to one or two things. And so if people come into a financial planner or, or even a financial planning game and they don't know what compounding means or they don't know what tax deferred means and you get the stress response, I was going to go, oh, oh I got to do something now. Right. So I think there's a great value in fintech to just teach people about what it, you know, what these terms mean and how to be a smart investor. And I think Robinhood has done some of that, by the way, um, just to, to make the information available. But having said that, you don't want to get into this. Oh, I bought something. Yeah, I can watch it every day. Probably a bad idea. I think it's rules, not discretion. So for me and, you know, this is standard practice, but people can disagree. If I'm buying an investment, I have a reason to buy it. I put it in a spreadsheet and I know when I'm selling it, right? I, I, I put in a rule and I execute that rule. Do I do it 100% of the time, all the time? No, sometimes I violate my own rules. But I try to be very clear on why I think this is underpriced or overpriced and why I'm going to get out. 
And so I just, you, so you can, as you know, you can put in, you know, limit orders. You can put in orders that yeah. automatically execute this. So again, I'm, I know my brain's going to be excited about, oh my God, it went up 10% today. I'm going to put rules in that's going to overwhelm that natural rewarding desire to go, I'm a freaking brilliant investor. Look at what I bought this thing, right? Don't, no one's brilliant. The market's brilliant. The market, which is everybody, right? Billions of transactions a day is brilliant, but you as an individual are not. So if I can't do it, William Sharp can't do it. Nobel Prize winner. Are you going to beat the market? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I have a bunch of students that, you know, work in hedge funds and they have roomfuls of PhDs in physics and math. And all they do is look for those tiny little, you know, um, quarter points or little. Points. Yeah. 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 You know, and so are you going to do better than they are? Uh, you know, may, maybe when I started investing 30 years ago, maybe, maybe. Now I think it's obviously hard. So if you actually even look at the number of trades, so I think something like 85 to 90% of trades now in the New York Stock Exchange are algorithmic, right? They are computers making these trades, not individual humans. So, you know, uh, I think it's it's a computer game now. So maybe if you're a machine learning expert and, yeah. and you can program your computer and, and I think you can do that in a niche if you know. So I would invest in neuroscience, biotech stuff. Traditionally, but even now, I, I don't think I can do that as well as the market can. Well, you know what I'm thinking as you're talking, Paul, too? I'm thinking that I don't play video games a lot. I play a little bit, but I love board games. And one thing that I think over time games have really helped me do is it's helped me lose. Like, I feel like when I lose at a game, I learn some valuable lessons. And I kind of feel like if we lose every once in a while, our brain, you know, you talk about habits form. I'm wondering if losing sometimes really helps us not touch the stove again and make some of these bad decisions that, you know what I mean? It makes it so we don't trust our brain. Well, geez, my brain said, go for it on this one move that because it's a board game cost me nothing. And I learned in this simulation that I shouldn't do that. Right. Exactly. I, I do think that's where these uh, investing, you know, video games are very useful because the board game has kind of less bandwidth hitting your brain. So it's like, oh, I lost a monopoly or whatever. Um, but, you know, when you are trading paper trading, which is what you should do before you do any serious investment, you get that negative feedback. Again, it hurts. It, it's in that pain yeah. area of the brain. So I do think you're right. I think you've got to lose a bunch. I mean, it hurts more when it's when it's your own cash on the line. Yeah. Uh, but I think, yeah, losing is really important. Great point. I want to go into the making of this video and how you got involved, because I find this whole series fantastic and really want to talk to you because I found this particular episode of Your Brain on Money really cool. And this is an excerpt from the episode, the Million Stories episode that you are in called Ken Lessons from Video Games Change Our Money Habits. Uh, let's listen to just a little clip, and I'm going to ask you about the clip here in a second. This is about rewards in our brain. Uh, for example, savings. We met with the developers of a gamified savings app to see what techniques they use to change behavior. This is Lindsay Holden, and she's the co-founder and CEO of Long Game. A lot of people have trouble engaging with their finances, so how do we get you to start changing your behavior? Lindsay and her team are using incentives called prize-linked savings accounts to increase their users' saving habits. Inside the app, users open an FDIC-insured savings account. Every time they save money, they're rewarded with access to mini-games that have cash prizes, which help them grow their savings even further. And those little rewards encourage users to save more. The prize money is won on top of interest, so users' money is never at risk. 
They move the fun part of spending money, like buying lottery tickets. Yeah, you're, you're commenting on this app right here, but I want to ask you live here. I feel like two things. Number one, are we kind of learning the wrong things by connecting savings to the separate prize that's not going to happen separately? Or is this a good, is this a good connection that they're making with this app? Uh, you know, it's, I think it's 50-50, Joe. I think the activation and the reward area of the brain loves uncertainty, loves the unexpected prize, actually. So um, it's like the slot machine in Vegas, right, where you get, you, even if you win a little bit, you win a, a weird amount. And they're like, oh, now I got 45 cents. Okay, now I got a nickel. And so I think you're right. In some sense, we are training ourselves that we need to be rewarded all the time for delaying gratification. And that doesn't really help us build that prefrontal control to just suppress the desire for now, 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 because we're getting the reward anyway. Now, having said that, if it's establishing a habit in which people every week are putting a little bit of money in the savings account, well, that's a rule. That's a great habit to have. And you don't really need the reward once you establish that rule. So I think it's it's a good short-term kind of yeah. big for people who are just not used to saving regularly. Yeah. And then hopefully over time, you actually don't need to do this. You just set up a, again, an automatic withdrawal. Well, because to your point, you get to a certain amount of money in your bank account and that's the win. You go, oh my goodness, look what I did. I saved all this yeah. money and it was easy and it was fun. And now I can do it without the, without the saving. That makes sense to yeah. me. Uh, how did you get involved in the project? I'm very curious. Did you just get a call one day and, or were you involved with the people that made this or tell me about uh, your involvement in this video? No, I've just got a call, but I've been involved in a, a number of startups, uh, my own and other people's, uh, in terms of helping uh, use what we know from behavioral neuroscience to kind of optimize uh, user experiences within games. And so I have a little experience in the area. And yeah, it was just fun to actually uh, do this. And as you know, Joe, you know, if you do just a little bit of financial planning, your whole life can be so less stressful if you can just set up a set of rules. And, you know, my whole professional life has been developing knowledge and tools to help people flourish and live great lives. And man, if your finances are unstable, you can't really flourish. It just sucks. Yeah. Yeah. It's the fuel that makes everything else go, which you make the great point of in this million stories video. You worked on that project. Can you tell us what you're doing now? What are you up to? What are you up to uh, these days? Uh, I'll tell you uh, five years ago, I started a software company called Immersion Neuroscience that has democratized neuroscience. So in our my research lab, we identified signals in the brain that tell you how much you love an experience you're having. Like being on with you. I'm loving it a lot. <laughs> uh, so we basically pull data from a smartwatch, use algorithms to infer what the brain's doing from the activity of the peripheral nervous system, and it made us available to um, companies around the globe. So I'm currently in Denmark, as you know, and uh, meeting with uh, both uh, academic researchers here, I have a bunch of work going on in autism, but also with companies that are using this to create better customer experiences. So I don't want to watch a crappy movie. I don't want to see a bad ad. I don't want to go to the store and have a bad experience. But right now we're just depending on, again, our imperfect self-report of how I feel. So I'm, I'm, I don't believe in feelings. I believe in actions. I believe in observable actions. And so think of my poor wife who has to live with me. So, <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, so what we do is we predict actions based on how the brain's responding in real time. And, you know, again, I'm just trying to get the crap out of the world. How is it possible today that 80% of Hollywood movies lose money, right? You watch Isn't the it? movie trailer like I do and you go, what is this? They sunk $60 million on this piece of junk. I know, right? I, right? I could have told, told you for $20 that that was going to suck. 
<laughs> for zero dollars, right? So I think, you know, we're using, we don't have the right tools. And so by, again, because I'm a tool guy. So creating these tools and having the world use them to help people really flourish, to, to develop emotional wellness, to connect to the humans around us who love us and we love like, man, that's the best job in the world. You said that before we went on air. Like, I have the best job in the world, right? I get to help people live happier lives. That's what I'm doing. Dr. Paul Zach, I, w- I wish you enjoyed it. I wish you were passionate. If you were passionate, I think it'd be perfect. But thanks for, ha- <laughs> thanks for hanging out and talking gamification with us and how the brain works. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Joe. It's a pleasure. Hey, this is Joe Crane, host of Veteran on the Move podcast. And when I'm not helping veterans transition to entrepreneurship, I'm stacking Benjamins. Turns out it's all chemicals. It's my favorite part of that interview. Joe, it's all chemicals. Joe, yes. Everything I'm thinking now is all chemicals, which is funny. I'm sitting here with a coffee, it's all, right? It's all neurons. Pouring, pouring some chemicals into my body. I have this really great thing. I, I can't wait to share. I'm going to try it out and then I'm going to, I got it from, you know, our coaching group, Strategic Coach. Uh, a guy in our coaching group has this really cool product. I'm going to test it. I will see what I think about it. And then I'm going to send some to you. See what you think about it, and then we'll preach the good news if we is need it to. Anti-hangover medication? No. It's gonna blow your mind. I can't even I don't even want to bring it up, but it's gonna blow your mind. But you just did bring it up. Why do you do that? It's called a tease. Is that a tease? It's a cliffhanger. Sorry. <laughs> a tease is a whole different thing. It's a teasy cliffhanger. That's right. Hey, let's uh throw out the Avon Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. We can do that, and it's not even a tease. We're gonna do that right now. Because OG. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first. We said cliffhanger, and I was thinking about the great movie called Cliffhanger. Sylvester Stallone was so terrible. <laughs> You're full of crappy movies today. <laughs> it, it was it's pretty just bad. Like crappy it's, like, it's like 41 below, it's a blizzard, and he's out in a t shirt rock climbing. Because why wouldn't you? You know, well, because of the terrorist got his wife or whatever. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah. Obviously. Because that's where the vast majority of abductions happen. Peaks of mountaintops. <laughs> to your loved ones Duh. and your time and your, and your, uh, your Sylvester Stallone movies. That's why they've made buying quality term life insurance actually simple. I don't know if any of that even made sense. Haven Life. Sorry, dudes. Head to, to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life. Wow. Now to get a free quote. If you pause this right now, you're going to get that done. You know what? We're at the end of the eight weeks team. You've heard us talk about this for eight weeks. You know that you need life insurance. You know that there's a great chance you probably don't need it past age 60 or 65. So term life insurance is the way for you to go. Their application is simple. It's online. You get an instant coverage decision, affordable prices, all policies issued by their parent company, Mass Mutual, which is more than 160 years old. No, Joe, I'd rather go with the online company that has no track record. Okay person I made up to argue with me. Think about how dumb that is. Stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life. All right. Uh, we're going to throw out the Haven Life line today to William. Say hi, William. Hey, Joe and OG. This is William from New Jersey. I bought a house in 2008 at the top of the market. Had to move in 2010, about an hour away. And the house was far underwater. Instead of selling the house, I decided to rent it out. Well, I've had a couple of great tenants, I can honestly say I don't want to do the landlord thing anymore. So we're looking to sell the property next August when the current lease runs out. We originally bought the house for $120,000. It's now worth approximately $130,000. I'm trying to limit my capital to gains taxes since I know that there will be gain on the property from the $10,000 increase along with depreciation. I know I don't want to 
purchase another property, so I'm pretty sure a 1031 exchange is not a good option for me. Are there any other options? If I need to pay the taxes, I'm willing to do so, just so I don't have to be a landlord anymore. But if I can avoid paying them, I'd prefer that. Thanks for the help, guys. Hey, great question, William. And, and you know what? I am with you. I decided a couple of years ago that I didn't want to be a landlord either anymore. Had one house and just not for me. And uh, luckily, both stocks and real estate over long periods of time kick inflation's butt. So for me, I go with a stock portfolio and add some REITs. But for other people like my son, he leads with real estate because he absolutely loves it. Up to seven rental houses now. Oh, gee. Maybe he can uh, tell me how to do it successfully. <laughs> Him and you, man. I need a consulting uh, agreement with uh, with Nick to tell me how to, <laughs> the, the, how, to how to find contractors because uh, apparently he's figured it out. The two of you rocking it. Our friend Doc G, by the way, also getting out of real estate. He's he's done with it. But of course, our other friend Paula Pant absolutely loves it too. So, what do you think though? He's got this ten thousand dollar gain. He's been depreciating the property. Any way to minimize that? I'm not. Uh, I'm not thinking of one off the top of my head. Probably a good thing to do is to get with a CPA real quick, if, especially if you've had a CPA that's doing your taxes. Uh, over these years and just let them know in advance that you're planning on selling it. I will put this out here though. Why wait until the lease runs out? If somebody else is going to buy it for the rental potential, you have a better outcome, I think, if it's already rented and it has a lease. Because I can go into that as an owner of this building right, with cash flow in place, which is a great selling feature. So I would encourage you to consider... I mean, obviously, it's kind of not really house... Eh, I shouldn't say it's not house selling season, but it's not the best house selling season. But for investors, there's, you know, really kind of no time. Sure. And as hot as the market is right now. Yeah. Yeah. Low interest rates. You've got a renter in place with a lease till August. I mean, that makes that a pretty easy, uh, pretty easy transition, I would think. So don't put off waiting. And if you do have some capital gains, and uh, I always think it's funny when people complain about cap. I mean, I get it. Taxes suck in every form and fashion. But capital gains taxes are the best taxes to pay because that means you actually did it right. Like you, you're like Warren Buffett and Jeff Bezos. They should do a ProPublica article about your tax return because you're paying capital gains taxes. Lucky you. So I wouldn't worry about it. it it's a few bucks. You get some depreciation, but you'll have uh uh, maybe some losses in there too, you know, depending on how the cash flow worked out. So that's accumulated in your tax return. So that kind of gets offset against your income. So it kind of sort of works out in the wash. If you owe a few bucks on the back end, so be it. But the best thing that I would do, or best thing that I would recommend is talk to the CPA or the tax person who's been doing your taxes all these years. Tell them, hey, I think I'm going to sell this house. I think I'm going to get this price for it. What do you think? What, you know, what am I looking at in terms of exposure? Because everything that you've put into it over those years is going to be able to be uh, kind of offset. I love that idea because this person who's been doing your taxes has all these records. They know what questions to ask that, oh, gee, you and I have no idea what to ask. What I what I will say is this, is that I know a lot of people who own property don't think enough about all of the expenses that went into the upkeep of that property and didn't keep as good a list as they could. Man, if you can go back and look at some of the things that you did as upkeep for that property and get some of those expenses in line. Yeah. I think that that can help a little bit, you know, not maybe not a ton, but if you haven't been, if you've been as bad at that as a lot of people I know have been, uh, that, that could be a potential well, place. And, and a lot of times when it comes to real estate, what you, you're trying to be cash flow positive, but tax return negative. You know what I mean? And, and so 
you might have some accumulated losses in those properties that you know that you finally get to. They're called passive losses. If you're not uh, if you're not actively involved in the real estate business, you're not supposed to uh, write those off every year. So they kind of accumulate, and you just offset them at the end of the deal. So it might not be as bad as you think. Um, so get with the CPA. Even if you haven't, you know, if you've been turbo taxing them yourself, just go hire a CPA. It's a great time to hire a CPA. They're just they just got done with all the extensions. They're kind of on cruise control until about January fifteenth or so. So now's a good time to get in there and get to get an appointment scheduled and find somebody. But congratulations if you've held on to it for twelve years and you rented it all that time, you probably have made a killing on it. And uh, even if the cash flow or even if the uh, price appreciation doesn't really reflect a gigantic increase, you've you've probably uh, pulled a lot of cash out of it. Still that. made so some, yeah, made stuff. some decent money off the rents. And uh, one other thing for everyone else is that what OG said about having that tenant intact, I think it, I think we can even we can zoom out from that and we can even enlarge that to anybody who has a side business or a main business. Like having that tenant there, OG, to your point, is like pressing the easy button for the next landlord. And so many business owners think about this differently than we do. We think about it, you, me, and all the stackers listening as, is there an opportunity for me to optimize this? So I will specifically look for an unoptimized situation, buy it cheap, and optimize it. If I see you know some gold nuggets sitting among a bunch of junk, man, I can buy it as is and clean that thing up and make a quick profit, right? Like people that will flip houses as an example, that's what they're looking for is, is are the bones good? And can I then flip this? Most people don't look at things that way. They totally go in. They're like, Oh, I heard rental properties. Great. Look at this one. It's already got somebody in it. I don't have to do anything. It's exactly the same philosophy as if you're selling your primary house and you do a staging Like, look at the huge results on staging, just a coat of paint and making your house look a little bit like crate and barrel can go a long, long way to the price of the house, or at least selling it more quickly. If the market's crowded, if you own any business, I think that's what you think about. So having employees, not just employees in place, but also having the work already laid out in terms of processes that are all in a handbook that you can hand the next person is what the people are buying. So if OG's buying a company from me and he's like, wow, you got these people and they seem to know what they're doing, but what if they go away? Uh, Who cares about them? I mean, don't get me wrong. They're great. And they're staying with you new owner. However, I got this book for you. And the book is exactly what they do every day so that it's all set up. And most people don't create that book. I agree. And like you said, by the, the easy button of walking in and going like, oh, the rent on this place is a thousand bucks a month and it's $130,000. I can, da, da, I can uh, get rent for eight months. It's $8,000. And wow. even if there's some stuff that needs to get fixed, the gutters or the roof or something, I got some cash flow to work with right away. Well, you know, most in. people are going to do, if they're going to mortgage it, they look at the mortgage payment versus the rent and like, oh, mortgage payment's covered? Done. Deal. Doesn't cost me anything yep. out of pocket. Yeah. Help that help them press the easy button. So uh, great call, William. Thanks a ton. And uh, OG and I excited. We're, we're not coming to Jersey, but we will be in New York City uh, for part of my New book tour. New York City. And I know that uh, our my co-author, Emily Guy Birkin, going to join us in, in New York. And we're going to have some fun. Details are coming, but that should be around the first couple of weeks of February. What could go wrong with the weather the first couple of weeks of February in New York? Right. But going to be fun. Hope we see you there, William. 
And by the way, details coming soon uh, as we begin this last eight weeks before I hit the road, we're going to have lots of details on hopefully coming to a city near you. Lots of changes happening here in the next couple of weeks. So gee, the stacker being upgraded. Uh, we're going to have more on that as we begin the next eight weeks. So if you sign up for the stacker now, you'll be in from the very beginning. Can't wait to show you what's going to happen there, making it even more useful. The thing's already incredibly useful and helpful if you're a money geek and want to dive in deeper than we can on the show. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash stacker. We've got uh, the tour stuff coming at the beginning of the year where you're going to be joining me, I know, on a lot of these places. Uh, as we speak, we're on final approach for our events in Dallas, in Houston, in San Francisco, in San Diego, and we're working right now on Los Angeles, Seattle, Portland, and uh, Austin, and then we'll begin working on the Southeast and then the East Coast, Midwest, and all that. So the Stacker is a great place to keep up with that. All right. A lot of people to thank. Doug's going to take care of that. Last but not least, if you're somebody thinking, you know what? I need to make better decisions. I need to think through this more carefully. My financial life in 2022 and beyond, OG and his team are taking clients. So head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash OG. That's the link to their calendar. That's how you begin to interface with them to see how they can help you make better decisions in the future about money. All right. Time for you and I to get out of here, my friend. Doug, what should we have learned today? So what should we have learned today? First, your mind is not a machine. You might think of your brain as a ruler, but really it's more like an overcooked pupper delay noodle. That's why you've got to make decisions as calmly, rationally, and logically as possible. Get help if you need it. Second, retirement plans are changing and new models are emerging. Which entity should be responsible for your savings? The government? Uh, your employer? No! Let's put the onus right where it belongs, squarely, on you. Go start saving. But the big lesson? I thought Dr. Zach was going to tell us that playing Grand Theft Auto would be the key to financial success. That, that must have been the subtext of the interview, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's it. I'm thinking, clearly, I need to play more video games and I'll be a bazillionaire! Thanks to Dr. Paul Zak for joining us today. You can find his series, Your Brain on Money, on YouTube. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2021, and is created by Joe Salcihat. Our producer is Karen Rapine. The show is written by the brilliant Paulette Perhatch, with help from Joe and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. Know how I know how brilliant Paulette is? She wrote the words I'm reading right now. While she's not putting awesome words in my mouth, she helps writers power their work and businesses power their words. See how she can help you at thatwriterpaulette.com. After you listen, check out our show notes page written by our website manager and blog editor, Brooke Miller. Brooke and Joe also collaborate on a guide to the show and with lots of extras we couldn't include on today's podcast. Heck, they'll also throw in some life money lessons from Joe, and it's all free. It's called The Stacker, and you'll find it at stackingbenjamins.com forward slash stacker. Once we get all of this goodness bottled up, it goes over to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart, who helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. 
Want to talk about the show later? Mom's friend Gertrude is our social media coordinator and room mother in our Facebook group, The Basement. So say hello when you see us posting online. Here's a weird fact. She and Tina Eichenberg are never in the same room at the same time. To join all the basement fun with other stackers, type stackingbenjamins.com slash basement. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, reminding you that the Chipotle truck doesn't carry burritos. Lesson learned. You know that Willie Nelson song? Which one? I know them all. Well, <laughs> I'm a lifetime fan. Well, I'm going to get drunk and I sure do dread it because I know just what I'm going to do. Oh, you nice. Know no, I don't know. No, I don't. That's your Sunday plan? How does that song go? I got to get drunk and I sure do dread it because I know just what I'm going to do. Going to spend my money calling everybody honey and end up playing the fool. Spend my whole paycheck on some old wreck. And baby, I can name you a few. And uh, sounds like you've already had your six mimosas. You can carry a tune like nobody's business, Joe. <laughs> I don't care what they say about you. Like nobody, literally. <laughs> exactly. Like nobody. <laughs> yes. What is that? Uh, the thing that the doctor says, doctor says not to do it, but there's a lot more old drunks than there are old doctors. So there you go. Yep. It's a, it's a funny, bad headed song. To, headed to brunch. We're, we're doing a, a rare Sunday morning recording. Peel back the curtain a little bit, but, um, well, because we're doing this strange handoff thing, you are, I don't even know where you're going this week. Where are you going? Uh, we are going, we have a team retreat. It's the first time ah, we're going to all see each other going. in person. Yeah. So we're going to Vail. All of our team is virtual. <laughs> I know everybody's listening like, Oh, hoity toity Vail. Going must be Vail. nice. Well, let me tell you a little something about a little word called off season. Like literally. The hotel was closed for the last three weeks and, or two weeks. This is the first week they're opening prior to the season getting started. And so they're giving you this gigantic discount. Oh, it's it's insane. It's cheaper than staying at a Holiday Inn in, you know, Omaha. So our team's entirely virtual. We have one employee who has been working for us or with us, I should say, for almost two years and never met her in person <laughs> because of COVID. So yeah, we're going to get together and uh, do that for a couple of days. And then I get back I, we were talking about this and I'm like, all right, so I got to record a little later this week. And you're like, and I'm leaving on Thursday. I'm like, I'm getting yes. back on Thursday. And you get back on Thursday. And on Thursday I leave, we were going to go to Japan to visit my daughter and Japan it's won't let far. us in yet. Well, they, oh. they will, Japan will let us in, but with a 14 day quarantine. So I can spend 14 days in a hotel and Government not sponsored. see anybody or Government anything. Sponsored Government sponsored hotel. hotel. Yeah. Sure. It's amazing. It's just like the hotels avail. So <laughs> off season. And it's and it's more expensive than a holiday inn. So you're gonna go to Turtle Island. 
Yes. So instead, we're going to knock off three more parks. We're going to Biscayne Bay first, which apparently is the biggest uh, coral reef in the United States. Did you know that? I mean, stands for Ethan. I did not know that. And then uh, we're going to do the Everglades and then drive down uh, the Keys and do Dry Tortuga. Yeah, I think you have to take a boat there, though. I'm yes. no expert, but I think you have to take some other mode of transportation to the Tortugas. If it turns out that I'm in my car on my way to Tortuga, I I may want uh, I may not want to tell Avis. Oh, you're gonna I'm gonna need the rental insurance. I'm driving. Oh, yeah. this, I'm driving oh, yeah, this bad daddy to the dry Tortugas. <laughs> yes. Uh, how does this handle in the water? Have you ever done that trip down? Uh, Was that A one A? I've never been in the Keys. Yeah. I understand it to be very, very beautiful, nor have I. A lot of like cool, eclectic places along the way. And also, depending on when you go, I understand it to be just a nightmare of traffic. Because if you go at the wrong time, like everyone's going and everybody drives like 20 miles an hour, the entire 200 mile trip. I've heard you drive in the morning and then park it and don't expect to move again. But also, I think going at the, you know, around November 1st, off season. Hey, oh. What could go wrong? Off peak is what they call that, I guess. Uh, yeah. And by the way, if if you're in Miami, I will be there for my book tour. And I'd love to hear from you because we are trying to organize that uh, that stop on the book tour. And we're struggling a little bit. So there's uh, like 7 me, million places to go, bro. Shoot me a note. Apparently, we have quite a few listeners. You look at the numbers, we have quite a few listeners in Miami. I have never corresponded with listeners in the Miami area. So uh, shoot me a note, joe at stackingbenjamins.com and uh, would love to kind of pick your brain a little bit. All right, man, let's get this done. Let's uh, let's do it. I need some brunch and mimosas. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.